Hi, this is your host, Pete Bloom. Welcome to American Heroes Network. Our core mission is serving the brave men and women who have sacrificed to ensure our freedom. You will hear true stories from those that have served, learn about veteran organizations and resources, and gain hope for your future knowing American Heroes Network, your community, and other veterans are here and at the ready to serve and help you and your family. We will talk about the hard topics like PTSD and TBI. You will also hear military history, inspirational stories, learn about networking with the community, and more. So come join us and be part of our family. Today's guest is the president and CEO of American Heroes Network, and he's here to share a special story about never giving up in his search for Chaplain Bill. Jim, welcome. It's great to have you on, as always. I know you have a special story for us today that kind of spans from your time in Vietnam until very recently. Well, Pete, thanks for this introduction, and it is always a real honor and a privilege to be part of something so great as American Heroes Network. Pete, my first tour, as some may vaguely remember back in my first podcast with you back several months ago now, I served as a 11 Charlie in Vietnam, which is a light mortar men in the 1st of the 12th, 4th Infantry Division, Central Highlands, 2 Corps. And that tour was unlike what, uniquely enough, many envision service and being like in Vietnam. I got out of the field only three times, and those times were in dire need when our battalion had been so severely hit that we had lost best part of half of it. And the next time was when I had been wounded the first time on Hill 875. And then after that, believe it or not, they thought, let's do these guys some good. So we got back to a rear base where there were actually some kind of like brown water showers and that kind of stuff with actually running water out of some kind of a spigot overhead. Can't say it was warm as my memory serves, but at least they perhaps had that much for us. But then from there, it was around Christmas and we went to the Bob Hope and Raquel Welsh Campanary in Central Highlands Christmas gathering. And with, of course, the absolutely incredible efforts of Bob Hope and Raquel Welch. I mean, you got to throw that in there too. Yeah. So, I mean, you talk about driving a guy crazier than he already was. But so, Pete, it was interesting as I served there. Prior to leaving basic training, they made the announcement in a formation one day about anybody interested here in becoming a chaplain's assistant. And I thought, well, you know what? I believe in God. And that may be what I'm really here for. I don't know. I'll look at it a little closer. So I stepped out and I got whisked away with maybe one or two other individuals. And I was told, well, that was going to change two years into four years of service. And so I kind of go, well, I'm going to rethink that maybe, but maybe not. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And I got back in line. Of course, that was kind of a big old red scar across my name right there for not taking something and taking the drill sergeant's time. So fast forward, here I am in Vietnam and things are pretty tough. And just right around the Tet Offensive, which of course was 68 Tet, and that was an awfully tough time. And I can't believe still to this day that all of the intelligence that was all over and all of the personnel on the ground, that that amount of men, machinery, weapons, everything that was amassed against us was a total surprise. And so I sound a little conspiratorial, but I don't mean to be because I'm not that kind of a person, but they were good. The NBA were excellent fighters and they knew their terrain better than we did. We were city boys in the jungle, just like 
pulling them out of the jungle and putting them in New York City. They would have stood out like crazy as we did there in the jungle, Pete. So we went into the Tet Offensive, and I had known about a new chaplain that had come in. And I thought, wow, this guy really should be out here where we are. Well, then one of those times back when we were going through re-outfitting and putting stuff together, I met that chaplain. And this guy, a great guy, and we got talking about my home, and I'm getting close to getting short, and you know, there's the helmet right down on the boots. I mean, I could hardly see the sunrise or the set. I was getting so close to coming home. And so I talked about my hometown, and he talked about his hometown that he had left a while ago. And by golly, then we looked at each other, and it sounded so similar. We had to ask each other almost simultaneously, where's hometown? And it turned out to be La Habra, California. And let's even step that up a couple notches. I actually sat in his church on Idaho Street in La Habra, California with one of my best buddies in high school. And he went off to a different college as I did too. But at least while through high school, we sat together in Chaplain Harrison's church. There is a Baptist church in La Habra, California. What's the odds? There was no way that could happen. He looked at me and I looked at him and we were a piece of home there in a three canopy jungle. And if anything was endearing to us, it was that link to home that drew us incredibly close. I have to be a little bit complimentary to myself and say, yeah, I got hit a couple times and was awarded the Purple Heart, Pete. So when Chaplin discovered that, he says, well, I guess you're a performer you know how to put things together. He says, I'm not really pleased about you getting hit, but getting hit and surviving, I guess that's a good thing. And he says, what about that becoming your job? Well, that was a tough thing to kind of consider. And given the time of service there in Vietnam, Pete, it was really tough to get messages back and forth. To send a letter, first off, you're covered in mud and junk and filth. And where do you find a piece of paper that's big enough that you can even write something on? And of course, we just put free up in the upper right-hand corner and we licked it and threw it in a mail pouch and away it went. And they did get home. I think probably 99% of them and better got home. The letters that came back looked like they had been drugged through all of Vietnam because they were covered in red mud and everything else and wrinkled. So the timeline for me to come home as well as to extend passed each other on top of it. And so I'm getting ready to come home, and Chaplin shows up and says, you're going home, hon. He says, I can't talk you into staying on as my chaplain's assistant. And I said, Chaplin, I think it would be an honor beyond my understanding. But I said, I'm really anxious to go home. I got nicked a couple times, and I said, I'm kind of ready to go home and see the rest of the world that almost 12 months ago I left. So that didn't work out so good. Chaplin says, I got better news for you. You're going to stay anyway. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> And it wasn't done in anything other than for the right reasons. Chaplin knew where my heart was because there were different times. For instance, when I was hit first on Hill 875, just before the Tet Offensive, remember Chaplin and I talking because the road back up again and back into the ranks, a little slow. And it's done that way because the transition from alive, wounded, and then either passing away because of those wounds or recuperating and getting back up again and moving back out, there's a little bit of reticence to making that happen real snap, snap. There were times I was hit. It was just the drawing of blood. 
Pete, it's impossible to be in a war zone and to be in combat as a combat infantryman in any jungle, in any war environment, and not get blood drawn on you. The question is, how much before somebody looks at you and says, yep, there goes a purple heart for you again, buddy. You're always bleeding. I was just out in the shop and I'm bleeding here on my one finger. You know, I mean, it's kind of just the nature of the beast. You're in a war zone, you're going to bleed. That's what happens. You get stuck and it's at the hand of the enemy. It's not you get punctured by a barb or something like that or some wait a minute bushes or a stick that you fell on or something like that. No, it's got to be fragment. It's got to be a bullet. It's got to be a bayonet. It's got to be something that draws the blood from the hand of the enemy. And it could be mortars, bombs, rockets, or any of the other devices that were so prevalent in every war. So Chaplin appealed to me a little bit further as we kind of walked and I acquiesced and I stepped back because I knew what was in front of me. And it wasn't a bad thing, Pete. You and I as Christians, we can say that there's a reason for our life and there's a bigger, higher calling. And I truly believe that. I believe the statement that's shared so many times in kind of a funny way, but yet in a real reality way that there were very few atheists in a foxhole. And Pete, I heard the cries. I saw the cries. I saw the anguish of my buddies, literally. And I watched them as they passed away. There's one place they want to connect to, and that's those that they love and that that'll give eternal life. And it can't get any better than that. That's the essence of who we are and how we live. And so when Chaplin said, Jim, your job is going to be twofold. Your first job is to keep you alive. Your second job is to keep me alive. You do that, I'll take care of you. And he says, I might even let you out of Vietnam just a little early, just to give you a little boost so you don't have to do a full 24 months in country. And he was true to his word. He said, well, maybe I'll get you another stripe. That he couldn't quite do. I'm sure under certain circumstances he could have, but he did get me another R&R. And so while I was a chaplain assistant, I did a second R&R. And that was a whole week away from the whole battle. So I extended as a 71M20, which is a battalion chaplain's assistant for the 1st Battalion, 10th Cavalry of the 4th Infantry Division. And we were a mechanized cav unit. Boy, we were some busted knuckle guys. I mean, they were bouncing around in Abram tanks, in APC retrievers, in APCs, in 105s, 155s, 175s. It was crazy. I mean, I'm used to kind of slithering through the jungle infantry style. These guys move, and they're moving a couple hundred tons worth of machinery through the jungle and crunching everything down as they go through it, and then casting their big guns on top of the tanks, and then they set up from fire support bases. But here's the difference with Chaplin. Early on when I met him, when I was still infantry, well before he said, Jim, I think I've got something I want you to really consider and really consider it. And that was, Pete, that Chaplin said, I want to be where the bullets are flying. And almost at that same parallel time, I said, Chaplin, everybody needs you here in country. I said, the guy at Cameron Bay, at one of the most beautiful deep water harbors in the world almost. I mean, it ranks right up there with the top. And yet every night they get rocketed, they get mortared, they get the perimeters run by zappers. So, I mean, it's all crazy. It's all crazy there. It was in Vietnam. And so I saw where Chaplin really was going to be needed was out in the front line. And here's the big reason. When you're fearing for your own safety and longevity and coming home in, you know, the way you left, 
there isn't a veteran that was overseas in any war, I don't think, that says like some nations do, where they are so determined, their sworn reality is they're going to give their life up. We try to do the job as best as we possibly can and still come out alive. And I somewhat believe, Pete, that some of the NVA and VC we fought, I don't think they cared much. I think they were willing just to put it all on the line and just roll the dice. And maybe that's what combat is. The blur and the fog and the scream of war honestly does take a lot out of an individual. And I still, to this day, the screaming in both ears is louder than anything around me. That's the primary sound that's in my head is the screaming in both ears. And if I could have any relief from that, I would do whatever it takes. I would do whatever it takes. So Chaplin heard that and I heard it. And when Chaplin and I had that face-to-face, Chaplin wore glasses and he had that curly hair and he had a great smile and he was everybody's friend. And it was such a privilege to work in his close proximity. I would get up at about 4.30 in the morning, maybe 4, just depended, you know, if we had some mortar rounds or rocket rounds to kind of roust me out of bed earlier. And so I would get on battalion net and I'd find out where everybody was through the night and how safe it was to bring Chaplin in and out. And I would arrange the entire day so that I could maximize the number of infantry, of CAV units of our veterans overseas in Vietnam that could see Chaplin's face and could receive the blessing that only he could bring with what he had on his collar. And that was a cross. I still, to this day, Pete, there's one picture in there that I sent that we'll post down the line here about in the remembrance page on Chaplin Harrison. I would build a tent and I would sandbag it up probably about maybe a little bit proud of my waist. And I'm 6'4", and uh, so I would sandbag it up about a little bit better than my waist. And every single night, it was a round tent, a big pole in the middle, and then it pulled down from the side with all the guys. And every single night, Pete, that tent was full of our guys in there wanting to sit and talk with Chaplin and talk with what's on their heart because there was a lot of stuff going on. There were tragedies and heartbreaks and things happening that were beyond a person's ability to deal with anyway, let alone on the other side of the world from it that were happening back home. And then combine then the things that were happening to each one of us while we were there with doing the job that the military had trained us to do. And so every night I gather up all kinds of chairs. You know, we get some Kool-Aid or something like that. And I remember one time Chaplin and I were out driving and there's a great story about the Jeep I stole for Chaplin. I'll link into in a second here. But one day we were driving by in our Jeep and Chaplin was pretty proud of it because it was just one of our first one or two uh, trips in it. And we passed a great big field of corn. And I put on the brakes and Chaplin says, what's happening? And I said, everything's okay, Chaplin. I said, we just passed a rendezvous endeavor for all of our guys in the CAV unit. I said, let's have a corn feed, a corn roast. And Chaplin's face got his smile hooked on each ear. And he says, all right. So I did a little donut in the road and went back and worked like crazy to communicate with Papa San and his Mama San and a couple kids out there in the field. And I indicated I wanted corn. What I did, I picked a couple pieces of corn, put it in the back of the Jeep, And then I indicated a great big mound of it. And then I took out a whole bunch of piasters and we went back and forth. 
he saw the piastres and he saw my mound and saw the corn in the back. Pete, we drove back with the whole back end of that Jeep filled with the greatest corn I think our lips and our taste buds ever had, certainly for that year for each one of us in Vietnam. And I got on the battalion net and I said, we're coming back with hundreds of ears of corn. I says, please notify everybody, anybody, and we'll see if we can even fly some out to the guys or move them out to them. I said, we're having corn on the cob. And I said, we need to come up with some butter and we need to get those pots boiling because we're going to be back there shucking corn. And if you think about it, it's like a watermelon feed that we just all in our minds went home and had something that endeared our hearts at that point. Chaplain's Jeep, when I became the chaplain's assistant, the military is funny in some ways. (laughs) I guess I say that. I don't understand it in some ways. I couldn't get a Jeep. There wasn't a Jeep available for a chaplain. In order to get one, we were so far out in the front in the mechanized unit out in the front, there weren't, there wasn't a place, a motor pool where there was all kinds of brand new Jeeps with tarps over and you just pull one off and there it is. There was a couple beat up ones and the motor pool lieutenant says, Jim, there's no Jeeps here that you're going to want. They're all junk. And he says, I can't issue any of this because none of them run. And he says, well, I got an idea. He says, come on back tonight after dinner and after we kind of sit around and talk and visit with you and Chaplin and the rest of the guys. And he says, we'll come back here and we'll steal one. <laughs> and I thought, well, Pete, I go, why would we steal one? We just give it to us. You just say, okay, here it is. Well, this thing had a bad motor tranny. Tires were messed, you know, hardly any tread on it. The top, the upholstery, the paint looked like Sam Hill. It was a mess. So we picked the best of the worst that was there, and they were all, they were in bad shape. So from there, they could get some components. And then Lieutenant started looking for all the parts I need. I come out with a punch list. And I've got some pictures of me laying down with a tranny on my chest. And you should have seen our tools. I mean, nothing was set for doing mechanics. And Lieutenant says, well, who's going to do all this work? And I says, I'll do it. Chaplain needs a Jeep. And the one that we were using was just like the one we were driving, only it did run, kind of. So I worked on that. There's a before and an after. And there's a final picture that I'll end up sending here down the line also. So the before was just a mess. My best buddy for... 60 years now that married my wife, Steph and I, he sent me a California license plate. And of course, you know where that ended up in front of Chaplin's Jeep because we were both California boys. We were surfing safari thing, you know, in our Jeep in Vietnam. So right in front of Chaplin's Jeep, after I had totally sanded it, I had primed it, I painted it, I wrote Chaplin across the front and I had new tires, I had new top upholstery. Oh, it was great. The tranny was good. It wasn't a brand new one, but it was an okay tranny. The motor was the big thing. It worked. But we were on our, oh, I guess maybe we had driven it for maybe a month and a half, two months. And when we pull into a fire base and drone we're going to set up, it's pedal to the metal. First, I got to secure Chaplin and make sure everything's safe. I got to get him a place where he can find safety in the event of, and the event of did happen many times. So that was a primary concern immediately to find a safe place for Chaplin. And while I was putting up the perimeter sandbags and I worked out a real simple thing with a rope with a couple of giant knots in it, and I just drove it down in the middle and scraped around the perimeter and on the outside of that circumference, that's where I started to lay the bags. And then I throw the tent in the middle and put the middle pole up and pull the sidelines down. And next thing you know, there was a tent. Well, there's a picture also a chaplain giving me a little lecture because one of the nice things becoming a chaplain assistant, I had nice, clean, newish fatigues. 
I couldn't bring myself to wear new stuff because we were right out where the guys were. And I couldn't look like I had just come from the PX or from getting my uniform from the supply depot. So we pull into this new area. I secure Chaplin and I start going for the sandbags. And boy, I tell you what, some of that dirt, that clay dirt was tough digging and it was tough to do. And I did it myself. But I start filling those sandbags like crazy. I'd probably be a good guy for the south. Down where you're at, Pete, I could fill sandbags in the event of a tornado or hurricane and save the banks from eroding away. (laughs) But I said, Chaplin, this isn't good enough. I said, it's a little bit over your nose. And I said, I didn't get as early a start on it. And that night as we were setting up, but I did get Chaplin all squared away as far as a safe place. And basically what he'd do, he'd get in an APC that was pretty secured out and they rig a hammock in there. So the least, you know, unless he took a direct hit, that APC would deflect pretty good, but they sandbag those out pretty good for Chaplin. And it was a command APC. So I'm in the tent by myself. And of course, what would happen? We had a 122 millimeter mortar attack that night. And you just lay there and you just think, well, if it's your time, guess what it's going to be? It's going to be your time. You can't pick and choose where the rounds fall or where the bullets fly. It's in God's providence who survives and who doesn't. And for those reasons, sometimes those were the questions that our guys would say. Why him and not me? Why them and all the others? And those kind of questions, those are hard to resolve in our minds because war in itself Pete, like we've talked about, God didn't design us to do that. That's something that we've learned as we try to protect and defend that. This nation is a nation so great and so powerful that people want to throw it over and take it over. And that takes some might. And like God called up his armies of angels. And so that night when the 122 came in and there was Chaplin's brand new Jeep out there, the next morning I'm getting up at the crack of dawn. And the Jeep looked like it was kind of at a bit of an angle. And I thought, boy, that was a close call. It fell down into a crater from one of the rounds. And as I got up closer to it, there wasn't a left driver's side back wheel. It was gone. So what had happened is a 122 millimeter round came down and took out the left driver's side rear wheel. And so we had a three-wheeled Jeep. So Wow, that's crazy. And so Chaplin, I'm checking in the battalion, making sure Chaplin's got his uh, day's assignments all set out. And I'm with everybody, getting everybody squared away that we're coming in at what times. And Chaplin came by and I always made a bathroom area, if you will, for him. And just a shaving station where he could have a pan of clean water. And Pete, the say clean water was water that you could see through. That was clean water. Now, it may not have been something you would drink. It might have been out of a creek, even though I would always throw halazon tablets in and try to disinfect it and everything else if Chaplin was going to get around it, even on his hands. I always had a station for Chaplin, and having a German cabinet builder as a father, I learned the trade of woodworking pretty good. And inside of our tent, I always took the ammo crates and broke those down and made a wood floor. And so that was unique. I mean, Chaplin thought this guy was a good choice. You know, he's done pretty good. He's kept me alive. Not so good on the Jeep so far, but at least (laughs) was. (laughs) But I have to say that when I left Vietnam, it was hard because it was a job being a chaplain's assistant, but it was a different kind of job. It was a job for us rather than my primary job was keep myself alive, to keep Chaplin alive, to be of service and support and a blessing to those that wanted to have a Protestant chaplain be by their side when times got tough, and it got tough every day. And so when I left chaplain, 
uh, he had a little bit more time to go in country. And he said to me, Jim, he said, I'd hate to have you get killed here in Vietnam, staying on after I've encouraged you to stay. I remember looking at Chaplin and he's waiting for me to say something. And I said, well, Chaplin, I got to be honest with you, I'd hate to get killed too. So I says, I'm kind of ready to go home. I said, but I also am worried about you. And he says, Jim, he said, you know what? And you know exactly what I'm going to say. And I said, I know. But I said, Chaplin, I said, that bothers me because my job is to keep you alive. And if I'm not here, that's a tough job to do. So I did go home and uh, I stayed there an additional nine months instead of the 12 months. I returned home in 1969 and the internet was certainly not there and it was tough to find anybody. Pete, I couldn't find myself and it was hard for me to find anybody else. My mom and sister and brother-in-law and and everything else and uh, my very best of friends all the way through grade school. We didn't know each other, and there was no way to share who I was then because there's no way to share that, what happens in a war zone for a combat infantryman. And it was tough. I went through some real, real, really tough times. I mean, boy, if I ever needed a chaplain, that was when I returned home because nothing was good. It was all bad for me, with the exception of coming home to my mother, my sister and brother-in-law and their children and my best friends. But the life I thought it was going to return to was pretty bad. It was a bad thing. So here coming on when I met my wife, Steph, in 1997, she found an article and talked about connecting with friends that you served with. And that was about the time that computers started to come out. You remember they were about three, $4,000 a piece and they were as big as the old TV sets, you know, and the monitors were giant things and everything else. And used to hear that ping pong ball bouncing sound, you know, as you got on the web and Everything was new. It was hard. It was hard to find stuff. It was a new technology. You know, I refer to myself as a phenolic plastic dial phone party line tech dude. And so even getting on the computer back in the early days when I had a little bit of younger years on me at that time was still tough. Here's the sad part. I never was able to connect with Chaplain Harrison until March 25th of this year in the Vacaville Reporter newspaper. Vagabill is in about mid-state California, a mere 296 miles away from me. A reporter named Matt Seiger wrote an article, and it said, former Army chaplain Bill Harrison served in Vietnam. And he lived at a home for those that are up in years. Bill was 81 years of age. And it says, Paramount House resident was there during the Tet Offensive, as I mentioned earlier. And there's a picture of Bill. We call him Chaplain. We call him Sir. He was a captain. But his name affectionately was Chaplain Bill. And there's a picture of Chaplain Bill sitting there. And so I got on the web again and I searched how to find a phone number for the Paramount House Residential Care Facility in Vacaville, California. I also connected with the reporter in Vacaville. And sadly, everything was voice messages and press this for this extension, that extension. And it didn't work until midday. And I went back there to the uh, residential care facility. And it was as bad a news that could possibly ever be. And I sum it up this way. 50 years had passed from the time that I separated from Chaplain Harrison, Chaplain Bill. And 296 miles separated us. And I was 14 days too late as Chaplain Bill 
passed away. And the lady there at the front desk said, Jim, I can't tell you this. And I'm not telling you this, but Bill is no longer with us. And I put in the words, Chaplin passed away, and it was just quiet. So I share this story with a lot of emotion that there'll be a time, and I believe with all my heart, that Chaplain Bill is in the mansions of the Lord now, and that his congregation is full up there, and he's preaching a sermon. And all those that he knelt down to, next to in Vietnam, and in all the churches that he was a pastor in, I believe Bill is there talking with them and waiting for the time of the final reunion when we could all come together. Bill was a good friend. He was everybody's friend. I don't remember Bill ever being impatient with anybody, not with me ever, not with anybody. He always was there with a service frame of mind of being there to help in any way and every way that he possibly could. And so I bring this to everybody. Never give up. Your veteran friends are out there. And part of our legacy with American Heroes Network, Pete, is that history is but one generation away from being forgotten. And of course, our great president, Ronald Reagan, said that. And he brought home to us how important our history is as the United States of America and all the sacrifices of all of our patriots from 1776 to today. And that American Heroes Network is dedicated to that one thing and one thing only, and that's that we're here to serve each and every veteran that has stepped forward to protect and defend that that we call the United States of America. And I dedicate this to Chaplain Bill and to all of those that served, all of those that wondered, and all of those that you still have not found. Look for them. They may be out there and they still might be able to be. I would have jumped in the car at that moment if Bill was there and made that drive. And I can't think of any greater reunion, Pete, than to just throw our arms around each other. And I know that's where we would have been. Bill was a fun man, and we made the best of the very worst. And Bill brought us the very best that God has for us in forgiving us for those things that were in many ways mandated to do and the things that happen at home. Bill was gentle. He was a gentle spirit. And I fully believe, like I've said, he's in the mansions of the Lord as we speak right now. Well, Jim, you know, I feel like that's a very, very touching story. And I agree with you. I believe that Bill's there and just uh, waiting for us all to get there eventually so we can all be together again. And I know that I can tell from the way you describe him and because of who he was and what he did that he truly understood what serving other people was and taking care of other people. And it sounded like between the two of you and your compassion for others, and as he said, that having you there to help patch people up in the times of war and when people were falling apart because of what they're going through and having to deal with things that they should have never had to deal with. That's what they need. You know, they need someone to listen, to care, and to, and as you're saying, when it's necessary, just put your arms around each other, you know, give somebody a hug. So you and Chaplain Bill, you know, you did that. And, you know, both of you in your own way have continued to serve after leaving the service. And as you said, he ministered at many churches. And now you yourself are taking the steps to help other veterans and their families with the American Heroes Network. So you are still serving as well. 
And it's really all about helping people with what they need, being compassionate, and just really being able to give them someone to lean on when they need a little assistance, a little advice, a little compassion. And, you know, sometimes that's all it takes to help someone survive or make it another day. So I appreciate Chaplain Bill. I appreciate you and God bless the both of you. Thank you, Pete. I look forward to, and Pete, you and I have spoke many times about creating a memorial to those heroes of our nation that have sacrificed. And the sacrifice doesn't have to be somebody killed in action, though obviously that is something that is the ultimate sacrifice to give your life in protection and defense of somebody else. But Pete, there are so many individuals that you know, I know, and our listeners too know that We've talked about this for years, and one of my good friends, uh, a Marine, uh, Gordon Wood, served as a tanker in Vietnam. You know, it wasn't hot enough. It was 130 there, and he had to crawl in there, whereas 190 inside a tank, you know, with all the cordite smell. And so he did that. He was injured severely with a RPG rocket that went right through the front armament and got him pretty bad. And so the stories that Gordon and I started to record, we have a local group, and we have Three POWs, former POWs, World War II, that are in a group of fellowship of veterans here. And their stories are immense, just immense. And we're going to start that up. As you and I have spoke, Pete, it's a task of love and labor that is, I think, is something that is so valuable because as long as these names are remembered and they're there, they won't be forgotten. And I refuse to forget my friends. And there's several others here that I'm going to come into that I'll remember throughout this upcoming year that we're going to put up there that perished in combat. And that's our way of keeping their image and their their life there, Pete. And I'm so thankful again. And I, I say this every time I'm on the air with you, Pete, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're doing it. Thank you for what you're doing. And you're making American Heroes Network the go-to place for veterans to find support, services, and all the things that surround what makes us whole again as we integrate back into our great society, America. Thank you, Pete. Well, thank you, Jim. And I'd like to end with one final thought just for everyone out there is that we're here on earth for a short time. In heaven, it's eternal and forever that we can be there. A lot of times people are struggling with something, and this is what we want to be here for, to help you, to talk to you to show you the resources that you need because oftentimes when people are facing those difficult situations, it seems like a mountain and people take the wrong action. And sometimes the wrong action can be permanent. So we don't want people to do that because if you take the time and you think about that situation, you realize it's a very short-term thing in the greater picture. It's a moment in time. And if you take that wrong step in a hard moment, all the other time you're going to be missing with family and friends and looking forward to eternal life in heaven. So if you need something, just reach out. You know, we're here for you at American Heroes Network. Thank you, Pete. I concur with that 100%. We can supply all of the help possible that we can muster up with regards to VA benefits and different connections and everything else. And yet spiritually, um, That's something else that we've talked about at the very beginning, and we need the chaplain bill in there for us, right on the front line of American Heroes Network. I love that, Pete. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Be sure to keep coming back each week for more great episodes. If you want to talk about something you learned today, if you have questions, or if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, go to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and click on Contact Us. 
Thank you for listening.